Tales of the Travelling Bag by Griselda Hill Narrated by William Merrin Hill On his first adventure into the wide world beyond the nest, Jerry the gerbil meets Jesus. With the help of his human friends Joanna and Joel, he becomes a disciple and accompanies Jesus throughout his travels and ministry. Tale number five. The Fox, the Loaves, and the Fishes. Mark 6, verses 14 to 29. The squeaking of the old iron hinges on the wooden door woke Jerry abruptly from a deep, satisfying sleep. Spring rain was pattering on the roof above his head. For a moment, the sound grew louder as the drops fell in rivulets splashing into puddles below, and then the door closed, and all was as before. Jerry frowned. There he was again, whoever he was. Jerry was sure that it must be the master. Always before dawn, even when the wind was howling in the shutters and the rain was pouring down, long before anyone else was awake. But right now it was dark quite dark. It was the middle of the night. No one surely would go for a walk in the middle of the night, not even the master, who admittedly was always full of surprises. Never mind, thought Jerry. Next time I'll follow along behind quietly. But I'm not going out in that. It's too wet and it's too dark. And he heaved his brother's tail out of the way and snuggled down into the warm, furry ball of his family. The gerbils had all arrived safely at the lakeside town of Capernaum in Joanna's basket. For several days they had enjoyed the generous hospitality of the official whose son had been healed. The feasting had been almost continuous and the leftovers very plentiful. But the excited little boy who had been so ill wanted to do nothing but play with them. They were exhausted. Billy had gone so far as to bite the boy's finger when he was tying knots in his tail, and Abby had said, Enough is enough. We need a break, and led the family down to the beach. Jerry loved the beach. The fresh breeze, the cries of the gulls, the creaking of old timbers as the boats rocked gently in the swell, the scents of oiled rope, cedar planks, and warm sand, the weedy rocks the drying nets, even the trestle tables stacked with the night's catch, although he looked askance at the empty-eyed, goggling fish. Everything was exciting to him, and he scurried around from one place to another all day, watching, poking, sampling. The master had arrived at sunset one evening with the disciples, and they had gone straight to Peter's house. There they had found his mother-in-law ill in bed with a fever, but illnesses didn't last long with Jesus around, and in moments she was up and about, singing loudly and cooking a huge supper. She had insisted that they all stay at her house all the time they were in Capernaum, and Jerry persuaded his family to settle in a quiet corner as well. But it didn't stay quiet for long, in spite of the incessant rain. All the next day people had come from across the town bringing friends and relatives who needed a healing touch from the master. He had been busy from dawn to dusk, 
until finally a weary Peter closed the door for the night behind the last of them. Everyone sat down to a tasty lentil stew, and they all went to bed early. That night, over some remnants of the stew that a small child had spilt under a stool, the gerbil family had had a discussion. Father had sat them down and announced that he and mother were returning to Nazareth in a day or so, and that the boys were now old enough to decide for themselves what they would do next. Jerry's eyes opened wide. But surely you know already what I am going to do, don't you? he replied. I am a disciple, and I have to follow the master. His parents nodded. We knew, they replied with wry smiles. Your future lies with him, and may you travel safely. But not everyone is called to follow him into the world. Some of us are called to follow in our homes and through our daily work. We hope you'll come home from time to time. Jerry leapt to his feet and threw his paws around both of them. Oh, thank you, he cried. Of course I will. And you know I'll always be safe with him. Billy looked from one to the other. His lower lip trembled, his eyes filled with tears, and his head bowed. What about me? he whispered. Do you really want to go home? asked Jerry, concern in his voice. Because, because I'd rather hoped you'd come with me. Billy's head shot up. Really? he cried. You, you want me, but I'm bad. I'm always causing trouble. You're my brother, said Jerry, punching him playfully in the ribs. We do everything together. In a moment, they were rolling on the floor and squealing loudly. Shh, hissed father, you'll wake everyone up. So that's settled then, said mother sadly. Don't leave it too long between visits. We'll miss you at night in the ball. Barley harvest, said Jerry firmly, hugging her. We'll be home by then, and that's a promise. The drumming of the raindrops grew louder above his head. Jerry lay there thinking about the events of yesterday when he suddenly heard footsteps running up the street. Bit early for visitors, he thought, and glanced at the door. Dawn was just breaking, and a faint light could be seen above the sill. There was a violent hammering on the door, and a man shouted, Wake up! Wake up! They've killed the baptizer! Jerry shot out of the family ball and scuttled behind the water jars where he could hear. They've killed the baptizer! King Herod's men have killed John! Silence. Shocked silence. Followed by a commotion as people leapt from their sleeping mats in an outburst of angry voices and sobbing. Jerry found tears running down his face. That good, strong man, he thought, the one who gave God's message of repentance and called everyone to be baptised into a new life. The one who first recognised who the Master really is. The man continued bitterly. It was at one of their drunken parties. That fox of a king made a rash promise and his vixen of a wife took him up on it. They killed him, then and there, and... His voice dropped, but Jerry was too upset to hear any more. 
Blindly he rushed out through the open door and ran down the street. I must find the master, I must find the master, he kept repeating. Down where the path from the hills met the road from the village was an old wall. Jerry leapt up onto the parapet and gazed around him. It was misty from the fog that was rising off the waters of the placid lake. He could hear feet moving through the wet grass and the swish of a sodden robe against bare legs. Master, he cried, they've, they've... I know, said the comforting voice. Warm hands clasped him and lifted him up. A finger brushed away the tears and raindrops that were streaming down his face. Be sad that you don't see him any more on this earth, said the voice, but don't be sad for him. He's safe. But where? cried Jerry. He's safe with our Heavenly Father, quite safe. His work here is done. Those wicked men can't reach him any more. Don't be sad for him. Remember and be happy. Jerry looked up trustingly. I came to tell you, but you already knew, he said almost accusingly. The master smiled sadly. My father told me, he answered quite simply. He woke me early. Come, I need to take my friends up into the hills where it will be peaceful. There is some explaining that I need to do. Say goodbye to your family, said the master, and bring your brother along. Johanna's taking her basket, and she made me promise that I'd leave a bag by the door for you two. He chuckled. It seems that we're to be travelling companions, my little furry disciple. Take care no one sees you. His brown eyes twinkled. He stroked Jerry, putting him gently into the grass, and strode down the path towards Peter's house, the little gerbil hopping beside him. The household was still in an uproar. The messenger was repeating his story about the death of the baptizer to everyone who would listen, and more and more people were crowding into the courtyard through the narrow gate. Jerry found his family hiding nervously in a large flower-pot out of the way of all the hurrying feet. "'Johanna's here,' said his father tersely. "'We're off back to Nazareth with the news. It's time to say goodbye to one another.' Now, you two boys, be good and behave. Never let yourself be seen and never go into a hole where your whiskers won't fit, whispered their mother, her eyes full of tears. Father seized her paw, and with a quick hug, they were scurrying across the earth floor and into the familiar basket. Two bumps showed under the napkin, and then even these disappeared. Almost immediately, Joanna's brown hand took the handle, the basket was swept up and whisked out of the door, and they were gone. That quickly. The door shut with a heart-rending finality. Jerry let out his breath in a great sigh. Come on, he said, seeing his brother's woebegone face. It's our turn. We're real disciples now. We'll be safe with the master. Be quick. Paw in paw, the brothers ran under the bench to where a worn leather bag sagged against the crumbling stone wall. In we go, said Jerry, and they burrowed down to the bottom of the bag and lay still. A few minutes later, they felt the bag lift into the air 
and the master left the house, followed by his group of disciples. Jerry glanced at Billy in the darkness and winked. Now the real adventures begin, he said, grinning, and settled down comfortably. The men hurried down the road towards the beach as the sun's rim broke above the horizon, dispelling the clouds, and light began to stream out across the water. Peter's fishing boat was drawn up on the shingle, its nets dangling wetly along the gunnels, and the sail that had been spread out to dry, full of blown sand and pieces of weed. Drying the seats with sacking, the master climbed into the bows as John and Andrew waded into the lake and pushed the boat off into deeper water. Peter took the steering oar, and four others manned the oars as Andrew shook out the debris and set the sail. The other five squeezed in somewhere out of the way. By the time they had bundled the nets under the stern platform and tidied the creels, which still smelt of their recent occupants, they were well out into the lake, creaming through the blue waters. The oars were shipped, and a gusty breeze took them bouncing over the waves. The two gerbils crept out and stood on the bullocks, swaying with the motion of the boat. I love this, sighed Jerry, grinning with delight as the blown spray splattered them. He lifted his head into the breeze and breathed in, delighting in the freshness of the day. Billy looped his tail around a stanchion and replied, It's very wet. He wiped his nose with his paw and added, But this is fun. I wonder where we're going. The boat was heading out across from Capernaum towards Bethsaida, but Peter steered away from the town towards the nearby hills. An hour of sailing brought them round the promontory, and they drew into the shoreline. It was bleak and bare. The hills rose up stark and brown above them. Deep channels scarred the hillsides where the winter rains had poured into the lake. No one lived here among the sparse bushes and prickly grasses, except for the occasional goat. Dropping the sail and bringing the boat in smartly to the shore, Peter sprang out and hauled the hull onto the sand, where they beached it securely and began to climb leisurely up the hill. As the sun broke through the last of the clouds, they could see for miles around the lake. Fishing villages lay nestled among the far hills, smoke curling up from their early cooking fires, and the beaches were dotted with fishermen selling the night's catch. The master leant his bag against a rock and sat down as the disciples stretched themselves out in the sun. He waited. Give them time, he thought, closing his eyes. The questions will come. There are people coming, said Billy, shading his eyes from the bright sunlight and squinting out along the hillside. He and Jerry had climbed up to the top, and to their surprise had seen crowds of people down below them on the far side of the hill. Some were climbing swiftly, others helping their more unfortunate friends, but all of them were making their way up the rocks towards where the master was dozing in the warm sunshine. I'll watch. You run down and warn the master, said Jerry urgently. Billy raced back down the hill to Jesus, running up his sleeve and whispering in his ear. Master, there are people, he said. The master opened his eyes and frowned. Here? he asked. Billy nodded. Coming up the other side of the hill. They must have recognized the boat. 
Peter was well known on the lake. Break's over, we're needed, said Jesus loudly, and pointed up the hill. The disciples stirred and sat up. Peter jerked his head at his brother, so Andrew rose and hurried to the top of the hill. Climbing up towards him was a huge crowd. When they saw the figure of the disciples silhouetted against the skyline, there was great excitement. Andrew cupped his hands to his mouth and called down to Jesus. You wanted a quiet day? Make the most of it, because in about two minutes you won't be able to see for people. Jerry was still standing nearby. If I stay here, I'll be squashed by hurrying feet, he thought, and quick as a wink he jumped and caught Andrew's sash as it brushed against the rocks. Scampering up the coloured weave, he hid and held tight as Andrew bounded back down the hillside. Jerry tumbled down onto the grass as they reached Jesus. The crowd topped the rise and there was a roar of delight as they saw their goal in sight and began to surge downwards. Master! squeaked Jerry in fear. The master glanced down by his feet and saw the two gerbils shaking with fright. Bending, he picked them up. You'll get flattened, my little furry ones. Up with you. You can stay in my hood out of the way. The two gerbils crept thankfully into the master's hood. The linen folds were soft and the brothers could hide inside but still see what was going on. They were just in time, for the crowd had reached the master and was jostling and pushing as each tried to be the first to touch him. Hands stretched out to him, pulling his garments this way and that, seizing the fabric and shaking it to get his attention. The gerbils whimpered and hid in the thickness of the folds as they were crushed and squeezed. Bony fingers poked and pinched, patted and pawed. Some even shook Jesus' shoulders in their selfish attempts to grab his attention and be first. On all sides, shrill voices rose in the air as Jesus was called and summoned, pleaded with, commanded, and begged. Twice he was nearly pressed to the ground by the weight of people. But Peter and Andrew stood on either side of him and fended off the more grasping hands, trying to make some sort of order out of the chaos. Eventually, not nearly soon enough, thought Jerry, a line was formed and Jesus was able to speak individually to the desperately needy, asking them why they had come and what he could do for them, and healing all those who asked for healing. I didn't think it would be like this whispered Jerry to his brother, although no one could possibly have heard his little voice in all that noise. This is terrible. What did you expect then? asked Billy. I sort of thought people would stand back and wait for him to reach them. This is just a free-for-all. They're all over him. No consideration, no respect, just self-centred demands, was Jerry's reply and he's taking it all calmly and not complaining, said Billy wonderingly. I'm sure their promises to repent and not do it again are just so they get what they want. They don't all look as if they mean it. Just a few of them, like that old man over there. Will they ever stop demanding? Jerry shook his head. I don't think so. Human beings have so many needs. See that one? He's holding up his torn fingernail. 
There are so many things more important than that, cried Billy. Why does the master bother? He bothers with everyone, however great or small. It makes no difference to him. We are all important, said Jerry soberly. And even if they don't mean what they say, he's giving them that chance. Oh, good, we're coming to the end of the line. They watched as the last person came forward. She was a young woman, and had been pushed out of the line to the back as if she wasn't important. She hesitated and lowered her eyes as she reached Jesus. He waited, smiling. Faltering, she whispered her troubles, and he reached out and lifted her head to look into her face. It became transformed from a great sadness to unspeakable joy as her hands cradled her girdle. She laughed aloud, caught his hands, kissed them, and rushed up the hillside and out of sight. She's going to be happy, remarked Billy. Jerry nodded. That's the last of them. I think the master will talk to them now. Talk to them? Half of them haven't even said thank you. Can't they give him a break? asked Billy. Jerry shook his head. They watched as the disciples moved through the crowd, persuading everyone to sit on the grassy hillside so all could see. There were so many people. Jerry tried counting but gave up very quickly because no one would stay still. At last the master began to speak, and instantly the crowd became quiet and attentive. His rich voice rang out, echoing among the rocks and floating on the breeze so that all could hear. At his voice the birds returned to the trees and began singing. Honeybees hummed among the blue and white anemones that speckled the field, and butterflies fluttered overhead. The two gerbils listened for a long, long time, and the sun began to sink behind the distant hills. At last Billy nudged Jerry. I'm hungry, he whispered. I'm going to see if I can find any food. He crept away through the grass, and Jerry watched as he scurried from one person to another all the way down the hill. At last he was lost to sight in the crowd, and Jerry turned his attention back to the master. Billy began his search by burrowing through the leather satchels and bags that had been flung onto the grass. The bags were interesting, and he found many knives, pieces of string, and bone-handled spoons. There were also goatskins of water, some of which had earlier been put in the lake to keep cool. But nowhere was there as much as a morsel of food. Billy had expected to find rich pickings of dates, cheese, olives and figs, and perhaps the sweet little honey cakes that he so adored. Who goes on a picnic for the day without food, he thought. But the crowd had not expected a day on the hills. Finding Jesus that morning had been a bonus, and everyone who could walk had just left their jobs in the town and followed their friends. Poor Billy! He became very disgruntled and indeed quite resentful as he hunted through all the personal effects of the absorbed crowd. At last, just as he was about to give up, he smelled a whiff of fresh barley bread from a leather satchel belonging to a young boy who was lying in the grass. Food! 
He dived headfirst into the bag, and in no time his sharp teeth had tugged apart the knots of a linen cloth, and he was burying his nose in the soft, scented bread. Next to the bread were three small silvery fish. They were sardines, dried and salted, as were most of the fish caught in Lake Galilee. Cautiously, Billy tasted one. It was crunchy and spicy. Beginning at the head, he began to nibble. Fortunately, he was disturbed, or he would have eaten them all, which would not have been good in the light of what was soon to happen. The wind was rising, carrying away Jesus's words, so the boy threw the satchel over his shoulder and moved up the hill to be able to hear. Billy was flipped out of the napkin and flopped into the grass, still clutching to his chest what was left of a fish. A few moments later, Jerry felt a nudge, and he turned to see his brother waggling a sardine tail triumphantly in his face. Try it, said Billy with a grin. I kept this bit for you. It's not mine, said Jerry severely. We only eat leftovers. Well, if the boy had wanted it, he could have eaten it, said Billy defiantly. So that makes it leftovers. Jerry shook his head despairingly. Will Billy never learn, he thought. Just then they realized that Jesus had finished speaking. The crowd was stirring. Some were sharing the water they had brought with them. Others had gone to get their goatskins cooling in the lake. I'm hungry, said one of the disciples. Wish I'd thought to have breakfast before we came, said another. We left in too much of a hurry even to think, said Philip. The crowd need to leave right away so they have time to find food and lodging. It's too far for most of them to get home before dark, and this is a lonely place. The master overheard them talking. You give them something to eat, he suggested. You're joking, snorted Philip. It'd take half a year's wages, and even then they'd only get a bite. Where could we buy bread for this many people? There are thousands here, said Peter. Have we got anything? John asked. The master glanced down. By his feet sat Billy, his cheeks bulging and the remains of a sardine in his paws. Billy looked up guiltily, held up his paws and politely offered Jesus the tail. Jesus hit his smile with his hand. There's a boy over here with five barley loaves and three... No, two small fish, called Andrew. The boy stood beside him, searching in his satchel with a puzzled expression. That won't go very far, laughed Peter. Jesus shook his head sadly. Will they never learn, he thought, for he knew what he would do. Sit them down again, he said. He beckoned the boy over and spoke to him quietly. The boy stood still and held up the napkin. Jesus lifted the first barley roll. Round the edge were tiny tooth marks where someone had nibbled the crust. Jesus looked down at Billy and raised his eyebrows. Billy's head sank low and he whispered, I'm sorry, I won't steal again. Looking up, he saw that the nibble marks had vanished and the crust was as smooth as before. His eyes widened in surprise. Jesus raised the roll towards heaven. 
Breaking it in half, he gave thanks and lowered it into the basket that Philip held out towards him. As Billy watched, he saw the bread in Jesus' hands once again. Didn't he just put it in the basket, he wondered. But the basket was already piled high and on its way to the waiting crowd. Again Jesus lowered his hands, and suddenly another basket was full. Billy stared. Each time Jesus broke the bread, the basket became brimming over with soft barley rolls, basket after basket. Hands reached out, passing back empty ones and receiving full ones. Jesus' hands lifted and sank, and brown rolls of all shapes and sizes kept appearing. There were exclamations as people tasted the bread, and the disciples stared not daring to speak to Jesus or one another. Master, thought Jerry, is this heavenly manner? Into his head came the answer immediately. Yes, Jerry, our Father is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. What about the fish? asked Jerry. Jesus reached into the napkin and took out the two little fish. Raising them, he blessed them, and suddenly the baskets contained mounds of silvery, tasty fish. Bending swiftly, Jesus put two little ones down in front of Jerry. Leftovers, he whispered. The disciples distributed the bread and fish until no one could possibly eat any more. Jerry was thirsty after crunching up that delicious fish, and had hopped down to the lake for a drink. On his return through the crowds of happy people, laughing and joking together, he heard different voices near the bushes that didn't sound so happy, and spotted a group of men deep in discussion. To avoid being seen, he had to pass that way, so he crept closer and began to make his way round them. Suddenly he was stopped dead in his tracks by what he heard. Now is the time said a low voice. It's Passover, and there are many Jews in Jerusalem sympathetic to our cause. We could depose that Herod, crown the preacher, and attack the garrison before anyone got to hear of it. The Romans won't know what's hit them, said another. I don't think he'd do it. He's not our type. He'd never agree, said a third. Who said anything about asking him? asked the first voice. We'll take him by force now. With miracles like this one, the crowd will back us up, hoping for more. You'll be king before he knows it. Jerry gasped and ducked down among the stones. King, he thought, the master is king of all. I don't think he wants an earthly crown as well. Certainly not that King Herod's. Quickly, he ran between the bushes and up the slope to where the master was sitting. Two jumps and he was whispering in his ear. Do you want to wear a crown, master? he asked, because some men are coming to make you king. The master turned to Jerry and gently rubbed the fur between his ears. Take Billy and go down to the boat, he said, getting up and going over to Peter. He spoke quietly to him and then raised his hands to bless the crowd. Peter turned to the disciples and spoke in a low voice. Pick up all the leftovers and make your way down to the boat. There may be trouble brewing. Fill the creels with the bread and we'll push off straight away for Capernaum. 
but try not to be noticed. We're leaving Jesus here. You're leaving him here by himself and there's trouble brewing? questioned Jerry aghast. But of course no one could hear him. Then I'm staying with him, he finished. He signalled to Billy to hop into Peter's bag, waited until he was safely inside and turned to look for the master. But he was nowhere to be seen. Somehow he seemed to have vanished. The disciples were filling their cloaks with the remaining rolls and fish and making their way down the hill as the crowd started to move off. Many had stuffed their pockets for the homeward journey, and there was much talk of miracles and provision for the Israelites in the wilderness, and the name Moses or Elijah was on many lips. Gradually the hilltop cleared and Jerry was left by himself. Below him he could see a group of men searching through the stragglers and gesticulating among themselves. He must be somewhere, said Jerry to himself. Let me think for a minute. If I was trying to avoid those people, which way would I go? He scanned the hillside. That way, he thought, in the opposite direction. There was a shout, and one of the men pointed at the fishing boat, which was just pushing off. There's Jesus making a getaway. Don't let him! Three of them raced along the sand and began to wade out to the boat. But the sail bellied out into the wind, and the brown hull picked up speed. In moments, the creamy wake was kicking up behind, and the boat was away, leaving the angry men dripping on the shore. Jerry didn't wait to see any more. Quick as a flash, he was tearing up the hillside and out of sight. He reached the top, panting hard, but was just in time to catch a glimpse of the master's cloak disappearing among some rocks. He checked behind him, but no one seemed to be following. Sliding, tumbling, he scrambled down the slope and slid to a halt in a pile of pebbles. There was the master, striding along the sheep track. Jerry fell in behind him, hopping quietly in and out of the ruts, glancing over his shoulder and always keeping the master in sight, but not getting too close. From time to time he stopped and listened for sounds of pursuit, but there were none. Master and Gerbil made their way like this for some time. It was becoming quite dark. The sun had long set and the night birds were flying in search of insects. Jerry hopped closer behind the master where he felt safer. It was almost owl time after all. The master made his way towards a quiet glade between the bushes, where he sighed and knelt down, burying his head on his arms. As Jerry watched... Jesus began to pray. So this is what he does when he goes out so very early in the morning, thought Jerry. He goes to pray before he starts the day. Jerry bit his lip. Now that he had found out the secret, he felt terrible about it. How he wished that he hadn't followed after all. But he couldn't have just left the master all alone like everyone else had. Now he was prying into the master's business. But he couldn't go all that long way home by himself. He began to cry. The tiny sob did not escape the master's ears. 
A smile broke across his face, and without turning, he continued to pray only louder. Father, I thank you that you chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and the weak things of the world to shame the strong, and that you use the little things of the world like gerbils for your glory. Amen. Jerry's jaw dropped in amazement. He could hardly believe his ears. Even gerbils can be used for God's glory? he asked aloud. There was a chuckle, and the master turned round and picked him up. Even gerbils, he said. Have you followed me all evening, my faithful but disobedient little friend? I sent you to the boat. Jerry looked scared. Will the master be angry because I was following him, he thought. He nodded slowly. To make sure that I was safe or to find out where I was going, the master asked. Jerry thought, I could just say it was to keep him safe, but that wouldn't really be truthful. I must tell the truth, even if I get into trouble. He took a deep breath, and without looking at the master, he said in a very quiet voice, Both, master. Jesus laughed and ruffled his fur. Yes, Jerry, but the first was more important to you. You followed because you knew the disciples were leaving me behind and you were worried for me. That was the most important, and our Father will bless you for it. Jerry was very relieved and ventured a timid smile. Now, continued the master, I have business with our father. We have a lot to talk about. You sit here on this stone and wait for me, then we'll go home. He put Jerry on a rock and took some crumbs from his bag. Here, more leftovers, he said, and tickled the little gerbil under the chin.